Welcome to FAIR Podcasts. On this episode, we're breaking down important immigration issues and examining each component. Right here on FAIR Podcasts, issue analysis. Let's start the show. The DACA myth, what Americans need to know. Hi, Dan Stein, President of FAIR with Matt O'Brien, Director of Research. What do you need to know about these DACA beneficiaries? And Matt O'Brien's done some research with Spencer Raley to take a look at who exactly these folks are and whether they really deserve to be able to jump the line in front of millions of people who waited patiently and respected our rules over many years. A lot of these stereotypes and assumptions about the DACA beneficiaries really don't hold up when you actually take a look at the data and look at the facts. A couple of things we do know about the DACA beneficiaries. One is we know that none of them voted for Donald Trump since none of them could vote legally. And therefore, the question of why they should be a priority for this administration over the campaign promises that Donald Trump made is an important one. Secondly, even though we call them all kinds of names, including dreamers or DACA beneficiaries, they are not non-citizens. They are citizens of another country. They are citizens of the countries where they are born. And at the same time, in this country, they are not U.S. citizens. They are aliens, aliens in the United States illegally even though they have been given some form of illegal parole by the Obama administration, once that's been revoked, they remain here illegally as aliens. So, Matt, when you actually sit down and take a look at who we're talking about, the circumstances under which they came, whether they were actually old enough to know better, whether they actually came with parents or didn't, whether they came from countries where it would be hard for them to assimilate and do well financially or economically if they went back home, how they've been doing with respect to the criminal justice system, how they've done in school. Let's take a look at the reality of it. So give us a quick summation here, Matt. Sure, Dan. So the first and most obvious thing is that they've been described as the DACA kids. Most of them aren't kids. Um, Their average age is somewhere in the mid-20s, depending upon whom you ask. And the fact is that the vast majority of them came here when they were in their teens, particularly in their late teens, and a significant number of them— Okay, so the vast majority actually came through their own volition, knowing it was illegal, and they were not like children cradled in their—infants cradled in their mother's arms through no fault of their own. Many of them came fully knowing, as a matter of practical matter, that they were doing something that was in violation of the law— And they were probably in their mid-teens. That's correct. A significant number of them crossed the border on their own. A significant number of them were smuggled in by professional smugglers that their parents paid to bring them over the border. Okay. What else do we know? Well, fewer than 900 joined the military, even though much has been made by politicians in D.C. about them joining the military. That's less than one-tenth of one percent of the total population of of DACA applicants. We also know that the screening standards were very lax. They call it lean and light, which means that the vetting was not very effective so that they maybe gave the status to people who didn't deserve it. That's correct. And we know for a fact that there were a large number of applicants that had gang affiliations, ties to terrorist groups. There were thousands who were uh, given benefits under the program from Iran, Syria, Libya, Venezuela. So it's a security issue here. It's a major security issue. Inadequate vetting and they came from countries that harbor terrorists. That's correct. And there were about 2,000 that had their status terminated for having committed crimes in the United States. So not everyone's an Eagle Scout. That's correct. Not even close. And that, that, that 2,000 does not include others who would have run in trouble with the criminal justice system, but because of non-cooperation agreements and other things, they did not come to the attention of USCIS. That's correct. And that doesn't include the ones who we know already committed crimes, but because of the way the Obama administration set up this program, the crimes were excused. You had to have committed three misdemeanors 
a serious misdemeanor or a felony before you were kicked out of the program. And what about the proposition that if they actually were required to go back home and take their place in line with everyone else, that they wouldn't be able to get a job or assimilate or use the talent, skills, and education that they got here? Well, that's an absurd contention, Dan. Uh, if you look at the total population, um, a large number of them came from 26 countries where English is the native language. Another large percentage of them came from places like India, the Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore, where English is a commonly used second language. Uh, there were about 36 European countries uh, with first world high standards of living and developed economies represented. And there were about nine Asian countries which have what we would consider first world developed economies. And then you had a significant number, a small number, but a significant number of people who came from places like Israel, uh, Spain, Greece, places that may not be fantastic in terms of economy and development, but that are certainly places where nobody is struggling. And so, I mean, actually, the, but also the number of people who might have come from Spanish-speaking countries like Mexico, which is a, a significant percentage, they are going to be raised in areas and neighborhoods and households where Spanish is the language. So they're going to know the language when they go back home anyway. They may be bilingual here, but they'll know Spanish certainly well enough to get along back in their home country. That's correct. And based on the school dropout rates um, and some of the research that has been done by organizations like the Center for Immigration Studies, it appears that a large number of these people from the Hispanic-speaking countries, Spanish was their first language. It's the language they speak the best. And they don't necessarily have the command of English they're being represented And, as and of course, if they took the skills and the knowledge they, they, they got in our U.S. education system back home, that would help the, the home countries too, right? Well, it would help the, the home countries, and it would also guarantee that many of them would be very successful back in the countries where they are citizens. So if you actually took the number of, of DACA beneficiaries who are valedictorians or who served in the military uh, or who are doing very well professionally and successfully, are we talking about a significant percentage? We're talking about a tiny percentage. It's probably less than 10%. It might even be less than that. Okay, well, listen, it's important we get this information in the hands of policymakers and the people who matter most. Matt, very good blog. You and Spencer did a fine job on your research. Hope you get a chance to read it as well. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. That's all for this episode of FAIR Podcasts. Be sure to click the subscribe button and head over to fairus.org to contact us through email or Twitter at FAIR Immigration to keep you up to date on the latest immigration update and reports. That's fairus.org.